Good morning. My name is Josh. I'm the pastor here. Um, it's good to be with you. Uh, we are taking a break from our uh, fall teaching series on uh, how to become like Jesus uh, because uh, my desire is just kind of for us to have a little uh, comfort in, in the gospel, the sweet realities uh, that are true uh, in Christ. <clears throat> Uh, you'll uh, indulge me to join with all the stores that are getting their Christmas stuff out already. I'm going to get out a Christmas intro story. Uh, the Christmas uh, traditions at my house growing up and continuing, even as we've gotten older, uh, mean that when we wake up, uh, we don't just like run downstairs. We have to wait at the top of the st stairs, no matter how old we are, um, and all pose for a picture uh, for mom. Uh, and then, and then we can go downstairs. But it's not a free for all. It's not just like this, you know, unwrapping chaos or whatever. It's very orderly. <clears throat> and uh, my dad puts on this really goofy uh, little reindeer hat uh, that I think we still have. And uh, he he will pick up a present uh, and then see who it's for. And then he'll walk over and give it to him. And then we'll watch and let that person open. And so it's nice. It's a little you know, ceremonial or whatever. It's our Christmas present liturgy, uh, if you will. But. Uh, I, I tell that story because when, when my dad picks up a present and said, this one's for Josh, uh, and he brings it over to me, like, what do I do? Like, what, what is my role in that interaction? I go like this. Thanks. <laughs> I just receive it. I just, like, hold out my hands and let him put the present in my lap. Uh, and I tell that story because that's kind of the, my, my hope for us uh, today is just to meditate on this idea of receiving the gifts that we have in the gospel, specifically the gift of uh, our adoption as sons and daughters uh, of God. Uh, I think receiving something good, receiving a gift, like that might sound easy, but the older I get, the more I see that it's really hard, really hard to receive grace, really hard to receive a free gift. We've had uh, a few friends uh, bless us a lot recently. Like when they came over and just said, we want to bless you. We're going to make a meal and you can cook it later this week uh, at your convenience. And so I just like stood there while they like cooked in, in my kitchen, and it was like, I did, like, what do I do with my hands? You know, they're just trying to bless me. It made me so uncomfortable. And so I, I hope that we could just kind of meditate on how we receive uh, gospel gifts. Um, the first three chapters, just a little context uh, of our sermon text, the first three chapters uh, of Ephesians uh, are very theological, just abundantly rich in all these glorious doctrines of what happens uh, in Christ. Uh, and then the next, next three chapters are uh, about how we live, live in light of that. Um, another helpful way to say it would be the first three chapters is Paul doing robust theological work to unpack uh, our identity. Like when we become children of God, when we become Christians and follow Jesus, uh, there, there are things that are just true of us. Our identity changes. Uh, but I, today I want us to see this passage as like somebody reading to us our bank account. Like it's already in the account. Like we have it. It's already been given to us. Um, there, it's, it's ours. It's complete. And just the tricky part is to receive the gifts, to believe that they're true, and then put that belief into action and live in faith like they actually are true. I think receiving these gifts is difficult because one of our, our main cultural values is, uh, you know, is meritocracy. Like we want to earn stuff. And obviously there's value and wisdom and biblical basis for that. Uh, but sometimes that... Overemphasis on that can, can work against us because we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. So we love the rags to riches stories and, and all that kind of thing. And like one of the main ways I think we as Americans know how to receive something good is by doing a lot and straining and striving. Like before we can rest, we need to like, you know, work until we crash or whatever. And it's so important uh, to emphasize the receiving of the goodness of the gospel by grace uh, because that's the only way to receive the gospel. 
Uh, there's not like options. Like you can receive it by grace for free, or then you can maybe work partway, or you can work all the way or whatever. Like it, it, the only way to receive it is just to hold out our hands and say, thank you. Even if you uh, play uh, the scenario of adoption out in, in real life, like in real normal everyday life, if a child is adopted, uh, does the child pay the price, the financial part of being adopted? No, the parents do. Uh, does the child do any work? No, the social worker fills out all the paperwork. Uh, the child is simply and freely, largely passively adopted into her new family. Three aspects of receiving adoption that I see here in our sermon text that we're going to walk through. Uh, the first one is that we receive our adoption by receiving our place. Receive our place. Look with me at the first three verses of our sermon text here in Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 3. 1817 in our uh, Pew Bibles, if you want to follow along. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. The first thing we see is that our place is in Christ. Paul says it twice in these three verses, and then he says it ten more times in the next uh, 14 verses. In verse 1, I think it's so, it's so beautiful. He addresses the saints who are geographically located in Ephesus, in like an actual like, you know, coordinate, coordinates on the earth in the city of Ephesus. But that's not the only place they are. They are also the faithful in Christ Jesus. Geographically, they're in Ephesus. Spiritually, they are in Christ, united with Christ. Paul, in this first chapter of Ephesians, is just being a broken record, saying that you are in Christ. The most true thing about you the, 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 the most important thing is that you are in Christ. The place you belong, your home, is Christ Jesus. The safest place you can be is in Christ. I think we can lose some of the splendor of this, but it's helpful to kind of consider this in light of other worldviews or religions. We serve a king, we worship a God who doesn't keep us distant, but actually places us in him. Like he wants union and communion with us. Only Christianity talks about a union with our God and Savior, an intimate, relational union where both persons are present and whole and distinct but are completely unified. It's not a distant, cold God who demands stuff. It's not an abstract spirit or energy. It's a person, Jesus Christ, and when we're saved, we now belong in him. This is very much just like a statement kind of sermon because it's not a command like go be in Christ or it's not even an invitation to be in Christ necessarily Paul is just addressing Christians and stating the reality of the gospel is that in the gospel we are in Christ I don't know if you're like me sometimes I like want to figure out but like how does that work what does that mean but I think sometimes we can miss the sweetness of this. It's like going to a friend's house, uh, and they serve you a steak, and you're like, what cut is this? Where was the cow, cow race? What was its name? Did you marinate it? How much did you cook it? And you're like, just eat the steak. Just enjoy it. The point is to eat the steak. Paul is not commanding you to stay in Christ, though there's elements of that to it. He's saying that if you are a Christian, if you believed in Jesus, and you've followed him with your life as Lord, then you're in Christ wherever you go. Paul's introduction here uh, in, in Ephesians chapter 1, he's addressing saints. Um, and in this, uh, the first uh, 12 
ish verses are just this explosion of joy and worship and praise. It's right there in the beginning. Uh, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he, he praises God for what, what he's done to his people in the gospel. And so we must just receive our position and simply accept that we're in Christ. How beautiful would it be that in the midst of our lives, like to me this sounds, I don't know, like it sounds like, you know, giving a baby an iPad. Like they just don't really understand what's going on. But just like imagine this with me, like in the midst of our lives when our kids are being crazy and or we lose our job or marriage feels excruciatingly impossible or when you can't get pregnant or you can't not get pregnant, you feel like you're drowning and the statement you are in Christ what if that warmed our souls? What if that became the most true thing about us? Like our sure thing amidst the storm is that we belong in Christ. I am secure in the king of the universe. The next part of receiving our adoption is that uh, we receive our blessings. Look at verse 3 again. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Paul's uh, entire uh, excursus here is to praise God, and then he goes on to describe all that happens uh, in, in, in the gospel. And it's easy for us to see that word there, uh, praise, uh, to uh, be kind of like, oh, well, that's singing in the church, which, of course, it is that uh, in, in, in a big sense, and that's a command. Um, but I think it's better to see here, like, Paul is delighting and enjoying in the realities of the gospel. We delight or enjoy something. We can't, you know, we can't not praise that thing. Like, when we delight and enjoy a good meal or a movie or kids, like, when I say, my wife is amazing or this food is so good, it's because we delight in that thing. And, and, you know, the connection with singing is, like, really clear. Like, I sing the dumbest songs about my kids that I make up on the fly because I just delight in them. And I, like, can't not just praise how much I love my babies. And that's kind of what Paul is doing. Paul's about to unpack truths. The reason I go into all this praise delight thing is because Paul is about to unpack truths about the gifts of the gospel that he experiences and states as just so delightful, so enjoyable, so praiseworthy. And that's the, the posture with which that he wants these Christians that are reading this letter, you including you and me, to receive these things, that they're, that they're blessings, uh, that they, we receive them with delight and gratitude. Paul is showing us that our posture towards these realities, again, these are just statements of what God has accomplished in Christ, uh, are just facts. It's just the reality of the gospel. And this is good news for us if we uh, might struggle with feeling like worship or praising God feels dry or, or kind of empty or not very meaningful. Um, it would be worth asking the question, uh, to, to what degree have I received the blessings of the gospel, this new identity that Christ made available to me uh, on the cross and in his resurrection. This is not a say to, to say, hey, go muster up delight or go muster up praise in your heart, but just to reflect like the delight and praise that, we, that overflows in us uh, just comes when we enjoy something to the degree that we've experienced it. There's so many big, beautiful, powerful things, and we have to see them through the lens of joy, through the lens of delight uh, in the gospel. So what are these blessings that makes Paul explode? Look at the next few verses. It says, "Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 4, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he has predestined 
us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. The first blessing we see here is that Jesus is holy and blameless and in our adoption uh, in that we are blessed with Jesus's perfect righteousness that we are holy and blameless before God. He chose us in Christ uh, so that we might be holy and blameless. What I hear in these words is an incredible relief from guilt. The shame and guilt that I think if we're honest, we all feel to some degree, or will at some point in our lives, can be completely obliterated in the gospel. Because God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless. Again, this is not an invitation. Uh, this is uh, a declaration of what is true of us in Christ. In the gospel, God unites us with Christ so that we are holy and blameless, so we no longer have to feel bad uh, about uh, ourselves. We feel conviction and we repent, but we no longer need to feel haunted about the awful things uh, that we've done. Let's just consider Paul's life, the one who's writing this, what he was like before he uh, found Jesus, or Jesus found him. Uh, He was hunting down Christians to kill them or put them in prison, men and women. He was shamelessly, systematically pursuing God's people. That's Paul's baggage. Like, that's, that's the skeleton in his closet. Like, anybody here systematically sought to, like, imprison Christians? Then I think the same grace that can cover Paul's past uh, and rampage can, can cover your sin, can cover what you're, what you're ashamed of and obliterate <coughs> your guilt. But sometimes we think of God as, like, this easily offended old man. If he really knew about what we've done, he'd be so offended and sad, uh, but... I hate to break it to you, God already knows everything that you've ever done, every word before you even spoke it. But he's so big and loving and gracious that there's literally no single sin, uh, no group of sin or combination of sin that he can't overcome. So God shows us guilty people and he makes us holy and blameless in his, house, in, in his sight because he chose us in Christ. It's like, it's like he reached through Christ and chose us. And so as he grabs us, we are covered in Christ's righteousness. But he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't say, like, okay, you're blameless and holy. Like, have a good life. Look how it goes on in verse 5. The first two words of verse 4. It's a weird break there. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us and the one he loves. My next point is that we receive our adoption by receiving our position. Our position is that we are in God's family. We are seated at the table. We're seated with Christ in the heavenly places with the Holy Trinity. There are three, three reasons why God picked us to be adopted as sons. First, because he loves us. He picked us in Christ. He chose us in Christ because he loves us, which means What is true of Jesus, what is true of the relationship between Jesus and the Father is true of you. The same affection that God the Father has for God the Son, he has for you if you are in Christ. Second, he picked us to be adopted as sons so that we could get his riches, that we could have access to the wealth of the family. The language here is one one of like oldest son, like the one who would be uh, the heir uh, to all all of the riches. Like the Bible isn't like saying only, you know, men can be, sin, be, be sons or adopted or whatever. He's saying that like men and women, as we are adopted into God's, 
family, we all have the status of the firstborn. We all have access to the family's wealth. When the will is read, because we're all adopted as sons, we're all held, seen by God in the light of Christ, we get the glorious spiritual blessings of inheritance. And this is, this is my favorite point. This is so big. The third reason why, why God adopted us is in accordance with his pleasure. With accordance with his pleasure and will. We do not have a disgruntled, kind of snarky, adoptive father. In his good pleasure, according to his good will, he adopted us in love. It pleased him to do it. All these truths that Paul is talking are framed in the language of praise and delight. He adopted us in accordance with his pleasure and will. God enjoys you. God delights in you right now. Not for what you've done or what you can do for him, but because he loves you, because it pleased him. A seminary professor I had, uh, he, he and his wife uh, adopted an eight-year-old girl who had been in uh, the system for a while. She'd actually been adopted once before, and it didn't work out, and she, and she went back. And uh, I guess the first family struggled to properly bring this girl, kind of <laughs> assimilate this girl into their, into their family system. Uh, they clearly, it's like Harry Potter, like they clearly favored Dudley, like they, they're biological children, and um, to the point where they would actually leave this little girl uh, with a neighbor while they went to Disney World. It was like a regular, like, annual trip. She, they would not take this girl with them to Disney World. But now she's in uh, my professor's family, her new family, and there's a trip to Disney World planned. And the days leading up to the trip, this little girl uh, begins to act out in just incredibly bad behavior. Like, she'd lie when it would have been way easier to tell the truth, and she just, like, reaches for the meanest possible thing that she could say to her siblings. You know, she'd steal food when she could just ask for a snack. And her dad sits down and asks her what's going on to get to, get to the bottom of, of all this. And before he can say anything, she, she blurts out, I know what you're going to do. You're going to say I can't go to Disney World because I'm too bad. She deeply believed the message that she received from her last family. But her dad said, asked her, is our trip to Disney World something that we're doing as a family? She said, yes. Are you part of this family? Yes. Well, then you're going to Disney World with us, period. But her behavior didn't let up. Uh, it got worse and worse, even on the trip down to Disney World. And finally, the first day of the trip comes. And of course, they have a great time. You know, people dressed up like characters and rides and all that. And at the end of the day, the little girl is exhausted and a little weepy, and she's snuggling with her dad, and he asks her, did, did you have fun? Oh, yes, Daddy, I had fun. And she's quiet for a minute and says, I got to go to Disney World, not because I'm good, but because I'm yours. Friends, that's, that's what it means to receive our adoption. It's not because we're good, because we've earned it, because God's our good father who delights in us and wants us in the family. He wants us with us, with him at Disney World. I'm worried that sometimes a lot of us, we can come to these verses um, not in an explosion of joy, depending on 
where you fall in various theological issues, you know, you like lock, you know, your theological argument canon, you know, to, to argue for different stances. Uh, and of course, there is a lot of ammo for certain stances in this. We, we are like, we are like the, uh, we are like the, we, we struggle to just receive it. We ask all these questions. Wait, what does that mean, predestination? What does that mean I'm a robot? What about the tribe in New Guinea? What about my brother? Does that mean I have to share the gospel still? And that makes me so sad because I feel like it's a little bit, the intention of Paul's words here to the church in Ephesus, it's, it, it'd be like a, a father coming up, your father coming up to you right after you graduate high school and just say, son, I want you to know that I've been saving money since before you were born. You can go to whatever college you want, any, live anywhere you want, buy whatever books you want. You can eat out every night. I want you to have this. You don't need a dime. I have it covered. And it'd be like in response to that kind of offer, the, the, kid, the kid goes like, well, what if I don't get good grades? Is there a GPA requirement? Am I allowed to live off campus? Or by everywhere do you mean just only on on-campus housing? Does that include Ivy League schools? Or did you also save up for my little sister? Do you see how we can like miss the point where we lose ourselves in, in those questions? And I just wonder, there's, there's space to wrestle with all those questions, but I just, for this morning, I, I wonder if we jump to all the theological wrestling to avoid the very meaning of the words, to, to a, avoid the, the, the squirminess of just staring this extravagant gift. And like when I'm in my kitchen, when my friends are making me food in my own kitchen, it's just like, oh, what do I do with my hands? Just to avoid being confronted by the words that it was God's pleasure to adopt you, to bring you to his table as part of his family. Before God began, God looked at the sea of humanity as he was going to create it, and he handpicked you because he loved you, because it made him happy to do it. What if we could silence the questions for a hot sec and ask that, that God would give us strength in our inner being to, to just contemplate, to experience to know the depth of this love took God at his word and let him be God and allowed ourselves to just simply be loved by him be his beloved children holy and blameless and I think you can save yourself the pain of asking did he choose me if he didn't choose me then what do I do and instead ask yourself do I want to love God do I want to love him and others this is a mark of, a, of adoption. The incredible love of the Father is lavished upon us, and we just receive it. So how do we respond? Well, I just want to take a, a minute. Uh, the Fulmers and Alyssa can come up and get ready to close us in a song and just uh, have a little time of silence uh, to, to talk to God about this, to sit with this truth that God in his pleasure adopted you in love. If you're here today and you're saying, yes, I'm a Christian, I love God, uh, I, I plead with you to just pray this prayer. Father, help me to receive my adoption. Let me experience my adop adoption uh, anew. And if you're here today and you're not sure where you stand with God, you're still exploring, um, just ask yourself, do I want God? Do I, am I sick of my system? Am I sick of running my life? Do I want to love love God. I'd love to talk to you about that. Let me pray.